Turn with me this morning in the Bible to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we'll read together the first 10 verses. Matthew chapter 28. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him did the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he saith. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and had run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 28 and verses 5 and 6 that I read in your presence. And my theme today is encouragement from the empty tomb. I've already asked the question, uh, what is the real message of Easter? Young people, boys and girls, what is the true Easter story? What's it all about? What's at its heart? And at its heart is the real, true, historical account of our Savior's resurrection from the dead. You see, Matthew chapter 28, verse 6 contains, is... One of the very keynotes of the entire gospel message. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. The tomb is empty. And we can sing this morning, Hallelujah, Christ arose. The symbol of Christianity today in the world is not the crucifix. It's not the Lord Jesus 
nailed to the tree. Yes, it's true that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Yes, it's true that his death was a once and for all sacrifice for sin, an atoning sacrifice for sin. That's an integral part of the gospel, but that's not the symbol of the true Christian church today. Um, Roman Catholicism, of course, using the crucifix, depicts Christ on the cross suffering. And while we believe in his penal sufferings, but he is no longer on the tree. He is not still on the cross. He's not even in the tomb. He is risen. And the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of the grand and glorious truths of the scriptures. The the doctrine of Christ's bodily resurrection really defines the gospel. It's at the heart of the gospel that the word resurrection is used 40 times in the New Testament. Isn't that significant? The word risen is used 51 times in the New Testament, many in reference to Christ. Uh, In fact, uh, the the word raised is used 82 times. You see, this is the uniform message of the New Testament, that the Lord Jesus rose again bodily from the dead, literally rose again in a real physical, tangible body body and and that's an important fact and that's an important truth to rediscover the tomb is empty was the message given by the angels to the woman who came that first easter sunday morning think of these words in verses five and six fear not ye for i know that ye seek jesus which was crucified he is not here for he is risen as he said Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now I want us to think this morning of encouragement from the empty tomb. If if the empty tomb is the real message of Easter, then what can we learn from it? What message do we receive? Do you know that in the empty tomb there's a witness to the person of Christ? Think of the message. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Now think of these words. For I know that you seek Jesus. The word Jesus, of course, is the name for our Savior. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then add in verse 6 the word Lord. It reminds us of who he is. It reminds us that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the eternal son of the everlasting father. You see, the Lord Jesus this morning is not just a good man who went about doing good. He's not just a great man uh, who did great signs and wonders and wrought many miracles and spoke many great messages. He's not just a gracious man. Remember of him it is written, never man speak like this man. But as you think of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, I want you to think of him as the God-man. Because the Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. We read in John's Gospel in chapter 1 and in the uh, verse uh, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of (coughs) grace 
and truth. You see, there's nine explicit references in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus is called God, expressly called God. And that's one of the great proofs of the deity of Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus is not just another prophet. The greatest prophet of all was probably Moses. He gave the law under God in Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. But there was a day that Moses died. There was a day that Moses was buried. And Moses' remains, bodily at least, in the grave to this day, awaiting the resurrection. In fact, God himself was at Moses' funeral. There was only one at Moses' funeral. But the Lord Jesus was not just another prophet. Nor was the Lord Jesus just the founder of another great religion with millions of followers. That's how many look upon Christianity today. Muhammad is the founder of the religion of Islam. Jesus is the founder of the religion called Christianity. But the Lord Jesus is not just the founder of another religion. Muhammad is dead. You can go to his tomb in Mecca. That, 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 that tomb is, is sealed to this day. But the Lord Jesus, he is risen from the dead, and it's all according to the scriptures. Over there in Romans chapter 1, uh, and in the verse 4, which is a tremendous um, statement of truth, uh, writing to the um, Roman church, the, the apostle Paul could uh, say this, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That that word declared means demonstrated, or, or proven to be. By his bodily resurrection, the Lord Jesus is marked out, proven to be the Son of God. And I want to make it clear this morning, he didn't become the Son of God at his resurrection. He always was the Son of God. He always is the Son of God. He, he was eternally the Son of God. And you've got to think of the eternality of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And you know, this is powerful stuff when you think about it. The resurrection. The empty tomb. The Easter message. It's a witness to who Christ is. And that is fundamental to the gospel. You, you can't divorce the person of Christ uh, from the message of the gospel. And I believe, of course, that the object of our faith is important. It's faith in Christ. And, and the content of our um, faith is important. It's Christ and his person and work the whole Christ and, and nothing but the Christ the object of our faith must be Christ remember the call Acts 16 and 31 when the Philippian jailer asked the question what must I do to be saved here was the answer believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and the word believe means to trust in to adhere to to rely on Christ alone as revealed in the Bible See, this is not a statement of philosophy. This is not just a, a theory propounded by men in our Bible college to us who were once students. This is real. This is practical stuff. This is true stuff. See, the empty tomb 
It witnesses to what? The person of Christ. Jesus is mentioned. Lord is mentioned by the angels. It witnesses to his person. His, his true Godhead. His true humanity. And we should focus on that. Notice secondly, it witnesses to the passion of Christ. The angel said, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. You see, on Good Friday, at noontime to 3 p.m., Jesus Christ offered himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin on the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and 12, but this man, he was a real true man, a man of flesh and blood. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now, as you think of the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, why did he die? That goes to the heart of the message. You see, many today who, who preach about Good Friday, who talk about the resurrection and Easter Sunday, they miss the person of Christ because they don't believe that he's the everlasting and the only begotten Son of God. And when it comes to why he died on the cross, that part of the message is left out. You see, it's good to remember when he died and where he died and the way he died. But, but why did he die? And the answer of the Bible is, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And then he was buried. And then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Doesn't the Bible say in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us, a sin offering, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And as you think of Christ in the cross, he's there as a substitute. He took my place. He died for me. He's there as a sin bearer. He's there as a sin offering. He, he, he's there as a, a sacrifice to, to bear the wrath of God for, for our sin. Also that he could become our saviour. Doesn't the Bible say Christ died for the ungodly? Doesn't the Bible say while we were yet strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly? Or Christ died for sinners? The apostle Peter could say uh, that, that Christ bore our sins in his own body in the tree. At 1 Peter 2 and, uh, and 22. And you see, as we, we think of that, and we think of the hymn, wounded for me, wounded for me, there on the cross he was wounded for me, gone my transgressions and I am free, all because Jesus was wounded for me. Now, now here's the point this morning. How do we know that the death of Christ did that? How do we know that's true? How do we know that really happened? Well, of course, the Bible says it, and we believe it because the Bible teaches that. But how do we know that the Bible's true? Isn't it easy to say things? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That means that we're sinners. That means that we need a substitute, that we needed someone to, to sacrifice himself on our behalf so we might be acceptable to God. That we needed someone to bear our sins. But how do we know he did that? Where's the proof? Here's the proof. God raised him from the dead. Turn over there to Acts chapter 13. 
if you can, Acts chapter 13. And look with me at the scriptures. Acts chapter 13. And it, it, it says in verse um, 29, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and led him in a sepulchre, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Now, when you think of all the Old Testament promises, you think of all the Old Testament scriptures, promises of covenant mercy, promises of salvation, from the gospel promise in Genesis 3.15, to the promise of God dealing with sinners in the basis of grace, at the heart of that fulfillment, God raised him from the dead. Listen to verse 33 of Acts 13. God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. You see, Calvary wasn't a defeat. Calvary's the greatest success story in the world. God himself had ordered the physical sufferings of Christ. God had overruled what wicked hands were doing, the horrible death of crucifixion. God had planned this from all eternity. God had planned the great plan of redemption. God had planned that the Lord Jesus would come into the world and be nailed to the tree, that he would become the Lamb of God, that he, that he would die as a once and for all sacrifice for all who would trust him as Lord and Savior. God had planned that Christ would die on behalf of his people in the fulfillment of that plan. Calvary was not a defeat. Calvary was not a disaster. It was not a mistake. He didn't die a martyr's death. God planned it all. And God planned this, that God would raise him from the dead. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. See, the Lord Jesus didn't die in vain. He died an atoning death. He died as a substitute, as a sacrifice, as a surety, as a sin bearer. How do we know that? Here's the proof. The empty tomb. Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. Christ fulfilled all the types and shadows of the Old Testament ceremonial law. How do we know that? The empty tomb. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here. He is risen. And, and that's the answer. The empty tomb. It witnesses thirdly to the provision of Christ. Think of these words if you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 28. It says, fear not ye. You see, these women, as they came that first Easter Sunday morning, they, they were terrified. They maybe even were despondent. They maybe felt that their world had fallen apart. Their little world had been turned upside down. I think of those women folk coming to that tomb that first Easter morning. I think of what was in their mind and on their heart. They're asking the question, who rolled the stone away for us? They're going in to, to put more spices on the body of the Lord Jesus. And then add into that, think of the, the 12 disciples. One was already dead. Judas had went out and committed suicide. He, he, he had betrayed the Lord Jesus. One had Denied the Lord of those in cursings. He was Peter. He, he felt that he was a failure. The other ten, 
They weren't coming to the tomb. It was the woman. Were they totally discouraged? They had felt their hopes were dashed. They were in a state of weariness. They didn't go near the tomb. And it was these women that heard the message, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. It was an invitation to come and see the place. You can go to Jerusalem today, as I've said. You can see the very tomb. And I believe it is the very tomb where the body of the Lord Jesus lay. I've been there two times and I'd go back many times. I'd go back every year if I could on holiday. And as I've said, I believe the garden tomb in Jerusalem could be the very tomb of the Lord Jesus. It belonged to a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea. It was made for Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea, of course, was not the first person into it because the Bible tells us uh, that he made it for himself and no man had lay therein. Did you know that there's a stone shelf there? And as you look at that stone shelf and one end of it, there's a place almost like six or seven inches Almost like a hole at the bottom where a man's feet would be. It's as if it had been gouged out. It was made for Joseph of Arimathea. He, he, he wasn't the first person into it. The Lord Jesus was. And they had to make it slightly bigger uh, for the Lord Jesus. There's a place gorged out for his feet. Lord Jesus could have been a few inches taller than Joseph of Arimathea. But there was a day the body was placed in the tomb. The body lay buried in the slab. The body was bound with bandages. There was a hundred pounds of spices used to uh, embalm the body of the Lord Jesus. So he's as dead as dead could be. He had really died. He was truly buried. The, 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 there was a stone sealing the door of the tomb. Now, now children... That stone was like a big round wheel. It weighed about two ton. And the, the ladies came asking, according to Mark 16, verse 3, who rolled the stone away? You see, the stone was blocking the entrance. And as long as the, the stone stood there, the, the doorway was blocked. You couldn't get in and you couldn't get out. More than that, the stone was sealed. The Roman authorities, they ruled Jerusalem at that time and ruled the land of Israel. And they had put some soldiers there and they put a seal in that stone. And nobody but the commander of those soldiers would be allowed to break it. Not only was the stone sealed, but the stone was secured. As I said, a company of soldiers, maybe as many as 20. And yet the amazing thing is, if you look at this passage of scripture, it says in verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And if you were to go to Jerusalem, you'll see a, a, at least a, an image. It may not be the original stone, just an image of that two-ton stone that would have been rolled to the door and wedged in place and sealed. That wasn't open to let him out. That was open to let the witnesses in. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Turn with me there quickly to uh, Romans chapter 4 and uh, look with me at verse 5. Romans 4 and verse 5, because I want to point this out to you. When you think of the provision of Christ, it says, Who was delivered for our offences 
and was raised again for our justification. Now that's important. You see, the resurrection proclaims a message. You don't need to be afraid. You can let go of your fear. It's a message of a full and free and forever justification and an acceptance with God. He was delivered for our offences. He didn't die for his own sins. He had none. He was absolutely sinless. He died for our sins on the cross. And the, the Bible says he was raised again for our justification. And the word for means because of or on account of our justification. It's true that Christ died an atoning death. It's true that he rose again on account of or because of our justification. We're not justified because of the resurrection. That, that's not true. Don't let anybody tell you that. The Bible doesn't teach that. We're justified by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. We're, we're, we're justified by his blood. His blood and the shedding of his blood is the ground of the redemptive work of Christ. The resurrection is because... He succeeded in procuring justification on account of his finished work, on account of his shed blood. And justification becomes a blessing. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another provision. And all this stems in this assurance of not let going our fear. The assurance of a full and free justification. The, the assurance of peace with God. It all ties in to the assurance and the provision that flows from the empty tomb. Maybe like the woman, you're here this morning and maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're a bit depressed. Or maybe you've got doubt. Maybe you're despairing over a particular situation or circumstances you, you face. You might even be full of fear. Here's the message. A hopeless situation become, can become hopeful because he is risen. Your darkness can be turned to light because he is risen. Your, your sadness can be turned to joy all because he is risen. Fear not ye. Let go of your fear. Don't let fear control you. Experience peace with God by being justified. Legally declared righteous and accepted by the Father. You see, here's the provision of Christ. And the empty tomb witnesses to that. It's an occasion for joy and happiness. Do you feel God forsaken this morning? Do you feel a failure? Have you experienced deep disappointment? Maybe you're here and you've got a broken heart. Maybe you're here and you feel, but Lord, I've messed up. I've screwed up so many times. You can enjoy victory this morning. He is risen. Where does victory and power come from to live a, a holy life, a, a life of, of, of faithful service unto God? It's the power of Christ's resurrection, victory within us. That's the provision that flows from the empty tomb. Very quickly... It witnesses to the presence of Christ. If you go back to Matthew chapter 28, we read there in the verse 7, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. Think of these words. He goeth before you. 
Glory to God. He's still going before his people. Whatever you face this week, you'll not be the first to meet it. Christ already there. He goes before you. He has met it first. Whatever's coming your way, Christ is already there before you. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm 23, verse 2, He leadeth me in the path of righteousness. He, he, he leadeth me to um, still waters. He, he, he leadeth me to green pastures. Doesn't the Bible say in John 10, verses 3 and 4, He goeth before his own sheep. You see, it's the risen Christ that's to the fore. And if you face sickness... He's in front of you. If you face sorrow and bereavement, he's already met that head on. He has taken the sting out of death. He's the mighty conqueror of death. If we think of the, the scripture that says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He's the great commander in chief of his people. He's the leader. And whenever you face individually, he's the leader. And whenever we face as a church and we have many enemies, um, many uh, sadly today that, that are combatant against the church whatever we meet with the Lord meets it first think of these words lo I am with you always how could we have the presence of Christ with us the answer is he rose from the dead the empty tomb guarantees the presence of Christ with his people and his presence is real and it's tangible. Jesus Christ is the best friend of all. Didn't the bride say, this is my beloved? This is my friend. Let me ask you this morning, is he your Lord and Savior? Is he your best friend? Was there a time when you come and said, Lord, I'm a sinner? I thank you for dying for me on the cross. Uh, Lord, I, I need you as my Savior. I, I, I ask you to save me now in Jesus' name. Doesn't the Bible say, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved? And it's your responsibility. You're, you're obligated. If the Spirit of God opens your eyes and shows you as a sinner, shows you you've got a mortal soul, shows you you need to be saved, shows you Christ as the Lamb of God, then you have an obligation to respond to that call. Whosoever shall call shall be saved. Have you called? The, the publican cried out, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And the Lord Jesus said he would home justify. One other thing. The empty tomb witnesses to the proclamation of Christ. Think of this as we finish. It says in verse 7. And go quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo I have told you. Go tell his disciples. That he has risen from the dead. It's interesting that the woman were told. Go tell his disciples. She, they weren't sent to the unsaved you know. They weren't sent to the ignorant. In Jerusalem. They weren't sent to those that were agnostic. Go tell his disciples. That's what the angel said. Now, now if you look at verse 10. When they met Jesus as they were going, be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. You see, I, I finish with this thought. 
Those disciples were depressed and discouraged and they needed encouragement. And the message therefore was to the disciples first. And it was the same message. The message that they heard 2,000 years ago is the same message today. And go quickly and tell his disciples what? That he is risen from the dead. That's what the disciples needed to hear. Their hopes were dashed. They were full of despair and discouragement. And they needed help and encouragement. They needed comfort. And maybe you're here this morning and as I've said, you're despondent. You feel a failure. You're at the point of despair. Your hope is dashed. What do you need to hear this morning? What do you need to learn as you go out of the house of God? You need to learn that he has risen from the dead. And let that truth grip your heart and grip your mind. Let let, let that be a, a reality to your spirit. Because that deals with our fear. That deals with our depression. That that deals with the, 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 the subject of bereavement. And I want to say as I finish, this is not wishful thinking. This is not whistling in the dark. This is not make believe. What gives you joy in bereavement as you stand at a cold grave and watch the coffin lowered into the earth? And you hear the words, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, earth to earth. What gives you comfort in your affliction when you're sick? What gives you hope in your darkness? It has to be the risen Christ, the mighty conqueror. He's the one who can help. Doesn't the Bible say, blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection? You see, there was the proclamation. Go tell his disciples. Because once the resurrection message got the grip of their hearts and they seen the risen Christ and they believed, then what a difference it makes. The failures become a firebrand. The day of Pentecost, Peter preached a powerful sermon. Glory (laughs) to God, 3,000 were converted. And I just thought this morning, if we could fill our minds with the witness of the empty tomb, it witnesses to Christ's person. The Son of God has been raised from the dead. It witnesses to Christ's passion. And how do I know he really died for my sins? The tomb is empty. It witnesses to Christ's provision. We can be overcome with fear. We can have the absence of peace. And yet through Christ and the assurance of the empty tomb, we can have all this provision. We can know his presence. He goes before us. And this proclamation is first of all to our hearts. If you need encouragement and comfort this morning, then here it is. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. And I trust that you'll go home with that thought. The great message of Easter, children, is the empty tomb. The Lord bless you this morning. And thank you for coming. I appreciate you listening to the word of God.